Displays go up all over the place showing people trying to do the tasks mm. like it's entertainment for the wealthy. Mm. Oh, it's that's Hunger a great Games. Idea. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. It's a sinister idea, but it's a great idea. It's very sinister. <laughs> the whole pitch is sinister. <laughs> story fans welcome to almost plausible the podcast where we take ordinary objects and turn them into movies i'm thomas j brown and today i'm joined by emily hey guys f paul shepherd happy to be here and guest jason johnson what's up what's up jason is an independent screenwriter and film director he has made eight films that have been selected to over 80 film festivals and has won six times. Ooh. At one point, Jason worked with legendary filmmaker Francis Ford Coppola in his crazy ideas department. He's currently working to get a distributor and funding for his first feature project, but he's taking some time to join us today. Jason, welcome to the show. Tell us a bit more about your history with movies and writing. Thanks for having me. I've been a independent filmmaker for about 12 years now, and I uh, started not knowing anything, but have had an opportunity to uh, make eight films now and just uh, doing the DIY thing and uh, happy to be on the show. That's great. I mean, having gone to school for film, it's one of those things that anytime I see somebody who's out there successfully doing it, mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. So, yep. I know it's not an easy industry to be working in, especially well, I mean, I guess if studio or independent, either way, it's tough. So, yeah, I would say it's very tough, uh, but, you know, we're trying to do it. And it's just uh, film is plan A. I don't really have a plan B, so <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Maybe this could be your plan B. You can just join us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jason, since you're the guest on our show today, you get to pick the topic we are covering. What ordinary object have you chosen? I've chosen watch. A watch. That is a very ordinary everyday sort of object. Well, we begin every episode of Almost Plausible with a pitch session. Each of us has come up with some pitches for a movie about a watch, so we'll take turns sharing those ideas, and then together we'll choose one and develop it into a story. Emily, how about you pitch first? All right. So my story is Natalie is a happy and healthy young woman. Her life is good and everything runs on a great schedule. Her sister would say she's a little too scheduled now. Natalie wasn't always so disciplined. Her life used to be a mess. She couldn't hold down a job or a relationship. When she did remember engagements, she was always a very late. But all that changed when she found a funky little smartwatch at a trade show her sister dragged her to a year ago. Now she's always on time, is able to organize her day in perfect two-hour chunks. The watch gives her reminders, and she doesn't even have to program them in or link it to her calendar. It just knows what she should be doing and when. She becomes obsessed with it, and one day the watch begins asking her to do kind of terrible things, like steal some gum or knock over the bike messenger. The day it asks her to kill her sister, Natalie struggles with what to do. She loves her sister, but the watch has never been wrong. So she's been doing these terrible things all along. Yes. So I imagine like when it tells her to steal the gum, she ends up meeting like a really cute guy or something mm. in the elevator. And so now she has fresh breath. So getting that <laughs> gum at that point was a good thing. 
And then like knocking over the bike messenger somehow saved her or somebody else an accident. So it wasn't a bad thing to do. So even as it's having her do these seemingly terrible things, the result is usually good. And then one day it's like, hey, kill your sister. You know, not exactly like that. but Right. I feel like we've had this pitch or similar in the past. Pockets. Pockets. Um, oh, damn. It's pockets, isn't it? <laughs> it's not just pockets. There was another one that we didn't use. Yeah, I recall that, actually. Yeah, where it's like uh, you get messages or maybe it was calendar. One of the pitches for calendar, perhaps. Mm, could be, could be. So apparently all of my pitches involve the thing that tells you to do things, telling you to do bad things. Right. I'm guessing Emily might have an intrusive voice. <laughs> tells her to do things. It's only intrusive when you don't want it to be there. <laughs> Otherwise, if it's not intrusive, it's a comforting friend. That's right. <laughs> that tells you to push over bike messengers and steal gum <laughs> when it could just tell you to purchase gum so you have gum and fresh breath. You don't need to steal to acquire chewing gum. You can exchange money for goods and services. But she was in a hurry. Oh, she was in a hurry. Oh, well then. Never mind. <laughs> she was a white woman in a hurry. It's fine. <laughs> Ooh, I want to talk to her manager. <laughs> that reminds me of that, um, the Eddie Murphy SNL sketch where he puts on white face and he goes into the shop and the guy's like, just take just, it. Yeah. No one's here. It's fine. <laughs> so funny. Uh, well, I have two pitches. First one is the main character finds a watch that allows them to relive moments from their past. At first, they use it to relive their most cherished memories. Eventually, they stumble across a moment they had forgotten. They uncover more forgotten moments and quickly find themselves entangled in a web of lies and deceit with them at the center. They must use the watch to play detective and discover the truth. Okay, so this one is newspapers. Yeah, newspaper. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is newspapers. <laughs> similar to that, yeah. I, see, I was thinking it was like the movie Paycheck, where he does a job mm, and then has his right. memory erased. But that's also like Emily's. I have Patrick on the mind because he's got that bag of items where it's like you pull one out and you use it right away. All right. My other pitch, a street urchin pickpockets a wealthy vizier nabbing an intricately engraved golden pocket watch. On his way to pawn the watch, he's fiddling with it and accidentally discovers the watch's secret. It can control the flow of time. The urchin pauses time and starts stealing from nearly every stall he passes. He imagines the luxurious life he'll be able to live thanks to this pocket watch. What he doesn't anticipate are the lengths the vizier is willing to go to to get the pocket watch back. Is his name Aladdin? Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to make that joke. It's Aladdin. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, that is the proper way to pronounce it. So those are my pitches. Yeah, the street urchin one is very Aladdin. Well, especially since that's the only way I know the word vizier. So in the original, he has multiple genies. He's got the genie of the lamp and the genie of the ring. And the you know, there's there's a couple. But that's kind of what it reminds me of. It makes me think, are there other magical items in this universe? All right, Jason, do you have any ideas for a watch based movie? I do. I, I have a uh, idea of an idea. So I, okay. I will try and go for it. So. Uh, the year is 2072, and all of the world's governments have formed together to form a super government that is a totalitarian government that looks to trim the world's population by 10%. Each day, everyone is tasked with something to do that is sent to their smartwatch. And if they're not able to successfully do it, then 10% of the world's population will be 
inject you with the poison and they will die. Oh my God. I don't know why that's not terrible. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so if everyone doesn't do it or if the people that don't do it, they get injected. Each day, 10% of the people that are unsuccessful will be uh, knocked off. So each day, 10%? Each day, yeah. That's a very rapid drop off in population. <laughs> yeah. What was that movie where it was like social media challenges? It was like the purge meets like Instagram. Was it a movie what? or was it an episode of Black Mirror? No, there was, it was a movie. Oh, God. What was it called? But the idea was like you would sign up for this challenge and then people would live stream you doing the challenge, but they were always crazy things. Oh, wow. And I think it was sort of a horror slash thriller kind of movie. I don't know. It looked like something I wouldn't enjoy. So, I didn't so it's not a movie it. that you watched. Right. Right. It's just a trailer you saw one time. <laughs> yeah. It's a movie I know yeah. exists. Okay. Wait, trailers don't count as watching the movie? <laughs> well, sometimes. <laughs> these days. Yeah. Okay, so it's not 10% of the total population, but it's 10% of the people who failed to do the task. Correct. Okay, that's, uh, that's realistic. I never said it was going to be realistic. <laughs> Think about like being somebody who has some task and you're like, you know what? 10%, I like those odds. I'm not going to bother with this task. Yep. If, if the task is so dangerous, like half the people that try it die, your right. odds are better not to try. Yeah. Ah, so is it 10% of the people given the task or is it 10% of the people who survived the task? <laughs> it would <laughs> be 90% of the people that do better than the 10%. Uh, those will be the survivors and the, I guess the mm. uh, ones that fall on the bottom 10% tile would be the ones that would be x dot. So it's a little bit like Squid Game then. I, I guess so, yeah. You want to be high performing. Yeah. All right, all right. I like that. Every day, do we take Sundays off? Let's say every day for a certain amount of time. How about every day that there's a challenge? There you go. Oh, and maybe the challenges come randomly. Like it might be two days in a row. It might be a month between challenges. You never know. So your life is like crazy topsy-turvy. Ooh, it could start out where it's been like three months since there was a challenge. Like that's where the story oh, could start. And so they're all like either half have like gotten lazy or like it's not mm. we're done. It's not happening again. And the other half are just like on edge. Right. It's based on the population. When the population goes over a certain line, it's like, oh, we need to trim it down, get under that line. Oh, my God. That's, that's yeah, Perfect. I like that. Yeah, that's great. So, like, we could stop the challenges if we just stop fucking. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a deal well, breaker. Uh, I guess we're doing challenges. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can have sex without procreating. It's possible. No, not in this world. 100%. 100% conception rate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Pregnant women would become ridiculously valuable as sex partners because you can't get, like, double pregnant. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. There's a whole economy there that we can create for them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Did you have any other thoughts? Any other ideas? No, no. That was, uh, that was what I thought of. All right. It's a really good idea. All right, Shep, let's hear from you. All right. So you already had the watch that can stop time, which was the first thing that I thought of. Right. That's been it's pretty done. obvious. Yeah. Clock stoppers. And so the other thought I had was a watch that travels through time. But then I settled on, OK, a detective uses a mystical watch to let him go back to see crime scenes or nearby crime scenes to solve mysteries. But the limitations are he can only go back 24 hours because that's the time on a watch. Actually, 12 mm. hours is on a watch, but ignore that. 
And <laughs> he can only see from the perspective of another timepiece. So he's not physically back in the past. He's mm. observing. He's watching. Watch. Follow-up questions. Can he switch timepiece perspectives? So if there are watches and clocks and things like that in the area, can he jump between those? Or is he just in one of them and that's the one he sees it from? No, he's got to be able to switch because then he's taking an active role to try to get like the best perspective on the Right. Is he limited to time zones? Yeah, if he, if he flies to... I think he has to physically be there to start it, okay. to touch a, a timepiece oh, and sense. go back. That makes sense. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So it's 24 hours from his current location. Okay. Can the clocks be uh, digital and analog both? He can switch. Well, see, that's what I was wondering about. Like, when is this set? Because if it's set in Mm. the future, there's going to be a lot fewer analog clocks. So he jumps back and he sees that. Can he do that multiple times or is he limited to one jump back? I think he must be able to do it multiple times. Like it's a detective solving a mystery and like every clock is a camera. Yeah, that has observed the scene so he can go back and replay the footage from the past 24 hours from any of those virtual clock cameras. So to fix the 24 hours thing, you could have a watch that has 24 digits on its face and just a single hand that moves around and people could come in. What a strange watch. Oh, it's Ah, a 24 hour watch. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Is there one of these that is jumping out at us more than the others? I like the detective one. I like the totalitarian government one. <laughs> I guess I'm, you know, in that sort of dystopian mindset. Right. I was, I was watching a, a climate change uh, documentary yeah. right before. <laughs> that explains it. Yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah. we're all going to die. So, yeah, I, that was kind of the genesis of the idea. Right. We're all going to die unless we take drastic measures like murdering 10% of the population <laughs> yeah. every day. Just got to keep them under that line. If that's one way to cut down on climate change, you know, cut down on the number of people. Although, really, it's the top one percenters that are using up all the resources. How political do you want it to be? So we only need to kill one percent of the population and then to not put them to waste, we should eat them. So you're saying eat so the eat rich. eat the rich, yeah. But if you eat the top one percent, wouldn't there be like a new one percent? Yeah, so just do that every day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem with Eat the Rich is that there's just more people to take that space in line. It's like a Logan's Run thing. You get to be rich for a little while and then... I mean, I wouldn't say no if I was given the opportunity. (laughs) That's why rich people are always trying to go to space. They're trying to get away. They know it's coming. (laughs) Yeah. Try to come and eat me on Mars, bitches. Like Elysium. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So is that the one we want to go with? I like both the detective and the um, totalitarian government one. So in the totalitarian government one, we said that this event happens whenever the population gets too large. Is that a thing the citizens know? Or is that sort of a thing that gets revealed later in the film? Is this just like a mysterious thing that happens that everybody just puts up with because it's been happening this way for a hundred years or, you know, whatever? It depends on how you want to create the tension. If it's random and they don't know why it's happening there's obviously a good amount of tension with that but then you have that extra layer i think if they know that when the population goes over so there are extra careful about contraceptives and you know hushing up pregnancies hiding them and hiding Mm. kids and Mm. stuff like that yeah i think they should know i agree because then that steers 
society. Yeah. The whole point of the the not Hunger Games. What are we calling this? The purge, the the limiter. The whole point of the limiter <laughs> is to keep the population down. So right. it's better if the population knows. Yeah. This sort of thing always reminds me of St. Matthew's Island where there was a reindeer population. So yes. there were basically some reindeer that were put on the island for, I think, like the Coast Guard had a base there. And so they were there to be like meat, I think. And then eventually the Coast Guard was like, oh, okay, we're done. We don't need to be on this island anymore. And they just let the reindeer go wild on the island. And there were no predators and there was lots of food. And so the reindeer population exploded and it just kept growing and growing and growing. But then there wasn't enough food because there were too many reindeer and eventually they all completely died out. And so it was one of those things where because the population got too big and wasn't controlled, that was the collapse of that, you know, of those reindeer. So it's the same sort of thing here. So maybe it's like the, you know, the St. Matthew project or whatever, right? Where they're trying to ensure that the human population never goes above a certain amount that scientists have determined, oh, we can't feed more than... Mm. You know, 10 billion people or whatever the number is. So once we get up to that number or close to that number, we have to call the population and that'll buy us some time. Well, this has also been done before. There was like an experiment with mice or rats or something like that. And they scientists like made a, a heaven for rats and let them go crazy. Uh, and then the population collapses after a certain point because it always does. And so really, it's not what is the maximum population that the Earth can support, but really what's the ideal population? It's going to be a lot lower than 10 billion. Like maybe right. we can support 10 billion, but that's also a lot of resources and a lot of damage to the environment that we're causing. Sure, sure. So the limit, the population limit goes down over time. So whether or not everyone's having kids there's still going to be another limitation event as the limit comes down to where the population is. Oh. Not all at once, but a little bit at a time over time. They just keep rushing it down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So where does this story start and who are we focusing on? Is it like the Hunger Games where there's like one character who we're kind of following? I haven't gotten that far yet, but... <laughs> well, now's the time to figure it out. <laughs> no, that's what we're here for. Yeah, I think it makes sense to focus on a certain tribe of people. And within that tribe, then you have one central person that finds out that this just doesn't pass the smell test. And then they sure. start the whole investigation and, and wanting to know more. And that uh, becomes kind of an infectious thing that other people kind of sign on to as well. So I was thinking that we were following one couple. So there was just a limiting event and they both survive. And they think, okay, it's safe to have a kid now because it's not a good idea to have kids when you're approaching the line again, because then you get harassed by people because everyone knows once you go over the line, but they just had a limiting event. So it's safe. So she gets pregnant. But then they announce, oh, we're lowering the limit. So there's going to be another limiting event. And they're like, it's too soon. Like, we're not ready for this. So they have to hide her pregnancy because of the upcoming limiting event and then survive the next limiting event. And of course, depending on how political you want to get, the rich people never get assigned tasks. So right. obviously. Or, or their task is like, have a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yell at the staff. Yep. 
oppress the poor. Right, right. Mission accomplished. And it's not even four in the morning. I like that. I think it should only apply to people that uh, earn a certain wage or less. Mm. Obviously, that's the least effective way to do it. If the point is to lessen the impact on the planet. But politics. But politics would say that the poor and downtrodden are the ones making the population. So that's where it needs to be eradicated. It's such bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) So now are they announcing, is the government announcing that they're lowering the limit or do they just say it's time for another event? And they're not saying what the limit is. The actual number. No, they have to say what the limit is because the goal is to get people to keep under the limit voluntarily. Mm, yeah, yeah, and you you get this uh, faction of people who totally believe and are full on into this and think it's the absolute right way to go and willing to sacrifice themselves or their families because it's it's for the good of this of everyone, right? For the yes. good of the world. So I think having them announce it makes it easier to build that population into the story. And then it's always some reason like, oh, we recalculated our CO2 gases and we're still emitting this much. Or we've noticed that the wheat resources have gone this low, you know, that kind of thing. And that's how they justify lowering the limit. Right. But it's all Big Brother stuff where it's just like it's made up. Can you even trust it? They say, they say, they (laughs) announce these things. But we, the people, have no way to verify. Or is that too depressing? What's the, where's the line? Well, I mean, it's dystopic, so it's not too depressing ever. (laughs) I think it depends on the end. Like, do they overthrow the government? Do they? I would say my vote says yes, they overthrow the government. And then they find out that it was all a sham in the, the whole time. And then they take back the resources, they take back their uh, uh, civility and just uh, everything that is good. So it's a, you, you take a bad situation and you make it really good one. So one of those things where there was like an AI running on a computer and there's not actually anybody in charge of the program. <laughs> it's just a computer that keeps being like, my goal was to reduce the population. And so now there's like 2 billion people left on the planet instead of, <laughs> we're at over eight now, I believe. So it's just kept going down and down, but nobody knows how many people are actually on the planet and they just have to accept this. So you, you want to take it out of the hands of evil people and put it into the hands of evil computers. You don't want it to be a bet between Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk <laughs> on who can get For one more dollar. people. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, maybe it's more Snowpiercer then where you've got the, the ultra wealthy who kind of don't have to play by the rules and there's some dictator type of person at the top who's just completely unhinged and it's been a while since i've seen snowpiercer i may be misremembering all i know about snowpiercer is the willy wonka theory video i saw on youtube i have heard the name that is where my knowledge of snowpiercer is i mean i've seen clips of it and stuff sure so if they overthrow the government what happens are they abolishing this program is that the the sort of final triumph is it a triumph or is it the deer again? Ooh, that's actually a good question. Maybe they try to blow it up like Skynet, but it's already online and it just kind of uh, regenerates after a certain amount of time. Is it too dark and depressing for them to get up there and realize, ah, oh, shit, this program is actually effective and it's doing its job properly and 
yeah, it's oppressive, but it needs to be. Like, it feels bad. And I wouldn't call it good, but it's necessary. Mm. That's the argument the computer is making when they're breaking into the AI building. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, I robot. Yeah, my my logic is impeccable. Yeah, my logic is flawless. Yes, but it's also heartless. I don't know. I think audience wise, like general audience wise, you you don't want to end it with the people getting up there and then realizing, oh, the computer program's correct. Okay, back to life as normal. Sure, it, that's not humanity. The general population does not want to. They want to feel heroic. They want to feel like humanity can survive anything. And right. It's meant to survive anything and that any sort of oppressor needs to be dealt with. Even if it's for our own good. Right. Yeah, because how many times throughout history have we been told this is for our own good? We know what we're doing. Just do as you're told. <laughs> sure. So do we want then to have it not be a computer that's running everything, but a person or a group of people that we can point to and say, like, no, you are just as flawed. You are wrong. I think the goal or the resolution is not to destroy the limiter, because realistically, we do need a limiter because we're going to fuck ourselves to death. (laughs) The goal is to make the top one percenters take part. Hmm. So everybody's got the watches on. Everybody gets the task. Everybody gets a random task. Everybody gets a realistic task. No more of this getting a free pass because you're wealthy. Mm, Okay. It's the princess in Dragon Slayer to go off on a real far tangent. She was never put in the lottery of the people drawn to go be sacrificed to the dragon. So what's the inciting incident? The inciting incident is they're lowering the limitation just after the one girl got pregnant. Like, this is messing up everything. Why didn't they tell right. us ahead of time that the limitation was going to be lowered again so soon after an event? Why is this couple the heroes of the story? What skills or qualities or access or what is it about them? I think they just represent every man. Yeah, I was going to say they were just uh, relatable. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have any special skills or quality. They're just a happy couple who felt like they survived their task. And now they can take a breath and do a normal human thing, which is bear and raise a child. Right. So they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. Right. Because it's unfair. It's unfair to live in that fear. And, you know, that drive, that natural biological drive is fierce and hard and it's unfair to have to fight it. Yeah. Okay. Once the announcement comes out. You're going to have groups of people that want to lower the population before the limiting event, right? Yes. So they can go two ways. You can have, you know, the Church of Extinction where they drink poison and kill themselves. Oh, my God. Wow. Right? (laughs) They really believe in lowering the population and they're going to do what they can, which is kill themselves. Well, and it's a selfless act because they're yes. doing it so that everyone else can live. Yes. And so as a result, they feel that they'll be rewarded in the afterlife for helping so much of humanity. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're going to have the other group that kills people. Right. <laughs> they're just going to kill people randomly because that's another way to lower the population. So they'll try to start wars. They'll do terrorist attacks, that kind of thing. I think this second group is the group our couple ends up with. 
not because they want to be terrorists, but they're desperate. They're desperate. They want to stop the limiting event from happening because she's pregnant. And right Mm. now, no one knows. And so they're going to do what they can. I think this is what leads them to attacking the wealthy. It's like, this is our opportunity. This is the way to. So before the couple joins the terrorist group, are they just hitting like high populous events, areas, buildings, you know, high densely populated areas like at random? Or do those people have like a plan and they are going after the top one percent? Or does the couple kind of like sway them or try to evolve the process into going for more of that? You can even have them talk about it's worth more to kill a rich person because they use more resources and that frees up more resources than it is. It's, it's almost worthless to kill the poor unless you kill many, many, many of them, mm. which is a thing they also do. I wonder if there are different levels of these factions. So on the sort of neighborhood level where they start out, it's what we're talking about of killing the poor, killing people, just kind of whatever, a little bit more of that loosey-goosey terrorist type of thing. And then as you kind of get into some of these, maybe more toward the rich parts of the city or toward the governmental parts of the city, or, you know, there's some sort of faction that's like, there's a plan. It's not just random murder. It's targeted. It's very targeted. And the problem is not the poor. It's not even really the rich. It's the government that's controlling this. It's the iniquity of what's going on. And that's what they're after. And so they sort of end up in that other group and realize like, oh, we can have a bigger impact on this whole thing. So there's like some point, maybe it's the end of the first act. Maybe it's the mid second act turning point where their mission goes from have our child without (laughs) grief or fear to this bigger picture thing of really help everybody in the world. Okay, I have some thoughts. Okay. Once the announcement is made, murders in poor areas just happen all the time. Don't walk alone at night. You'll just be murdered out of hand. It's like a constant purge all the time. (laughs) Now, in the wealthy districts, there is a lot of security. They are keeping the peace. No one's getting away with anything. This is why the terrorist group leads a raid on the wealthy district, but it fails. And some of them get captured. Mm. Among them are a couple that we're following. And the couple is promised, look, you can move here and live in the wealthy district. You just have to tell us where your headquarters are so we can stamp out this terrorist group. You don't really want to be a part of them. You're pregnant. You have a family to think about. Oh. How do they even know she's pregnant? They scan her or whatever. Who knows? It's probably a standard procedure. It's 2072. Yeah, (laughs) they have the technology. Then how is she hiding it before that? (laughs) They don't have those scanners in the poor neighborhoods. It's Elysium all over again. There's a huge disparity in technology. This movie got really violent, like really fast. (laughs) (laughs) You started it. You're like, 10% of the population is killed every day. That's what you said. Oh my God. I didn't think about it. (laughs) Oh man. That's why we have to have a happy ending to get through all of this trauma. I I would feel better about that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's take a break here. And when we come back, hopefully we'll reach that happy ending for our movie about a watch. 
All right, we're back. So at this point, our couple that we're focusing on, they've sort of joined this terrorist group and now they've been captured. They're in the rich neighborhood and they've just been bribed. The government is trying to bribe them by saying, oh, you could be part of the rich neighborhood. How do they go from this situation that they're in to actually attacking the government and this program, or at least the way this program is run? Well, do they just go, yeah, sure, and then go along with it because this was the plan all along? They would have to at least go with it temporarily, right? Is the government actually genuinely giving them this, or are they just trying to get the information out and your pores were going to kill you no matter what? I think they have to take the risk. I think that's a conversation that they have and they have to decide, is it worth it? Or even if we are taken to prison or what have you, we're still that much closer. Ooh. What if they gave the government like partial information so that they were within the vicinity, but it wasn't precisely where they needed to be? And that bought them time and, uh, you know, influence with uh, the government. I mean, if I'm the government and I'm offering these deals, if the information doesn't pan out, you don't get the deal. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, what happened with the McCarthy era? Didn't those people who gave up the names get to go back and live their life scot-free? And they, the, it was a legitimate offer. Yeah. It's a good point, actually. So I think it is a legitimate offer because even in the wealthy neighborhood, the wealthy district, they still need people to clean their apartments. They still need people to serve them at restaurants, whatever. To watch their broods of children. Right. So they offer them jobs, even though he's like a technician or something, he gets a job as a waiter because that's what allows him to live in the wealthy district. Right. They live in the district, but they are not wealthy. Right. They are a lower class citizens who live here. Yes, but it is still safer here. Right. They do enjoy some protections. Right. But this is how they find out that the wealthy don't get the tasks on their watch. Mm. Because this is leading up to the next limiting event, right? We've already established mm. that that's coming. Right, right. So they give up. They surrender the location. Yeah. They get to live in the wealthy district. They're adjusting to their new lives as, you know, hired help when previously, right. you know, like I said, he's an engineer, she's a doctor, whatever. And now she's a maid. Like, it's absurd. But they're in this district when the limiting event happens. And maybe their watches don't even go off. Like, none of the watches in the whole district go off. Well, you don't want to get rid of the help. Right. No. You need yeah. the help. We've established yeah. that already. <laughs> and so. So they're re-radicalized because yes. of that. Not yeah. only do their watches not go off, but like displays go up all over the place showing people trying to do the mm. tasks like it's entertainment for the mm -hmm. wealthy. Oh, it's that's Hunger a great Games. Idea. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. It's a sinister idea, but it's a great idea. <laughs> it's very sinister. <laughs> the whole pitch is sinister. <laughs> They're in a really good position then because they're on the inside. Are they able to bring in outsiders? Oh, no, no, no. No, they can't open a door and let people in. It's too much security, I guess. Right. But so all of the other help are poorly educated because the wealthy don't want them to be educated. They want to keep them in their place. Yeah. But these two are highly educated and are invisible, basically. 
So the doors to the district are locked, but he's an engineer. He can figure it out. So you're talking about like he doesn't have permission to go and get people, but perhaps he can pick the door and let people in. I like that. Do they act dumb when uh, they're around other uh, affluent people? Do they dumb themselves down to the point? I, I think they must. And I think other help people teach them how to do that. Like right. it's the first thing they do. Like you need to pass as one of us. You need to cover yourself so that you don't get suspected. Well, I think it's one of those things where like day one, there's some interaction they have with the wealthy people who kind of give them this look like, who the fuck do you think you are? And the other helper like, sorry, 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 and pull them away. It's like, what are you doing? You can't behave like that. You can't talk to them. You can't, you know, look at them. Right. So they're taught by the other people, hey, you need to blend in. You need to disappear into the background. You need to behave a certain way. What happens if they don't? Do they get fired? And does that mean exile into the poorer parts of town? Which means death. It's a good question. I would say yes. Right. If you don't know your place, you don't belong here. Yeah. Well, yeah. So if you get fired, it's just like, well, then we can't keep you here. Bye. <laughs> you, you don't know your role and you didn't stay in your lane. So you have to, you know. Or you get put on garbage duty in the underground oh. tunnels. So one of the first days in the restaurant, someone's watch or something doesn't work. And the technician guy tries to fix it because he knows how to fix it. But you're not supposed to talk to them. You're not supposed to help them. They will hire a technician amongst themselves. Mm. Oh, they'll just send their watch in and get a replacement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So he outs himself and they have a talk with the manager and he's fired. Now he has to find another job like by the end of the day or he doesn't have permission to be like you can have a countdown on his watch going. You Mm. must exit this district by whatever time. And so he's desperately seeking another job. He'll literally do anything. Now that he knows the rules, he'll follow it better. It's so oppressive. And I could see it, an underground garbage tunnel thing. And that, that could be actually. So I would like them to give him a warning the first time because he's new. He hasn't learned yet how it works. But this is how it fucking works. And don't do it again. Otherwise, you're going to have to go work in the garbage tunnels. And then later... When they're trying to get all of the poor people to come in and storm the Elysium area, he intentionally gets demoted to the tunnels so that he can let people in through the tunnels or something like that, perhaps. Hmm. I think that works, yeah. Yeah, because he's an engineer and he can hack the locks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's good. Very intentional. That's him being an active participant in the story. Yeah. Using their own system against them. Yep. So I feel like them getting into the Elysium is kind of the mid-second act turning point. Yes. So what is that second half of the movie? Obviously, they they learn about how to behave. They see the event happen and become re-radicalized. So from that point to the end, like, what are they doing? How are they communicating with the outside world or with, you know, the poor people outside of the Elysium area? Well, I think they got to radicalize a lot, a few of the people inside, too. Sure, they have all the hired help to, yeah. or hired the indentured servants to yeah, pull from. Yeah, they have from. them. They're, they're going to try and radicalize them as well, because the more support they have inside, the easier it is to get the things from the outside. So maybe there's some benevolent, there's always a benevolent person in the right. wealthy side, right, who's going to help them. Is there? Do we want that? I mean, 
it's a common trope. <laughs> Maybe it's someone that is like dying and they don't really care anyway. So mm. maybe they're, they're dying of cancer. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of douchey, right? Like, hey, I've lived my whole life benefiting from this system. But now that I can't benefit from it anymore, <laughs> fuck this system, you know? I think like, that's good. And I think that's a thing that they can say. Oh, right. He, he's like trying to die with this like clean conscience. It's like, yeah. you don't get that. You lived your whole life. Like, I guess thanks for helping finally. But like, you're still an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Acknowledge it. Yeah. So what does that person give them? It could just be a safe space to meet. It could be maybe that guy has a way of getting messages out and he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, sure. I'll let you send messages to wherever. Maybe he has some sort of special code that can open a door or or he has special knowledge. Maybe he helped design. A, oh, maybe he helped design the watch system. And so he has the knowledge they need to update the watch system to the rest of the masses. Right. So that everybody is oh, getting the task. They're given, everyone is given, is storm the district. Oh, yes. Oh, that's good. Fantastic. So, yeah, did he design the, broad, the watch broadcast system? Yes, yes. And that's why he feels so guilty. Yeah. Like, he has enabled this whole system, which, right. you know, they were in doing it when he was young. He spent, you know, he's a, a young person and they were doing it to save the planet. Yeah. Humankind was going to go extinct. It was this or, or nothing, but they took his idea and they perverted it. Yeah. So he can get one message of anything you want, one task, any task, but you can only do it once because they'll be onto him immediately and they're going to yeah. close whatever little back door he has. Yep. So you've got to pick just the right thing at just the right time. I like that. Yeah. Then everybody storms. It becomes an overwhelming event. Yep. Because there's more of them than there are guards in the wealthy district one thing we've never talked about is we said that 10 percent of the people who fail are killed how does the watch just have a little poison thing in it and it just pierces your skin and injects with poison is there like a stormtrooper force that comes to your house and kills you i like the poison in the watch because it's easy to show visually yeah. in the movie right and then you can have people that don't wear watches which is a criminal offense. You can have that at the end. They storm the wealthy district. The couple that we're following escape from that civilization entirely. And they're off in a village somewhere in the woods and nobody's wearing watches. I like that. Are there some wealthy preppers who anticipated eventually a storming of the, of the main district and so they have rockets set up to take them to another planet or something like that. Hmm. I'm just imagining like the bad guy at the end of like Inspector Gadget or right. any 80s cartoon that's like, yeah. you won't get me this done, G.I. Joe, or something. Right. You know? I think it would be funny if you had at least one person escape like that. It just seems that that's always the case anyway. So why not yeah. do it? Does he escape successfully? Is it a working rocket or did they just dummy something up because he paid them an absurd amount of money? I would say it's a working rocket. 
Yeah. yeah, I'm with I'm with Jason. Let the one guy get away. Yeah, because then you can you can stretch. You know, if there was right. a sequel, then you it's could. A sequel, you can, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes up to the Elysium space station, and right. he's like, okay. say, is, "Is there a space station or a moon base or something like that?" Yes, where... there's got to be the fallback position for the wealthy because right. they're not giving up without a fight. Yeah, set it open up for the sequel. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about earlier. They want to keep the program intact, but now everybody's participating. But then we also kind of talked about some people living in the woods without watches. So obviously they're not participating in the program. So what is the kind of ending that we're going for and how do they achieve that? I mean, if they've got everyone storming the main district, it sounds like the program's not staying intact, probably. Yeah, I think we're going to have to end the program, honestly. I think it's a more satisfactory ending. Even if we know that ultimately it's St. Matthew's Island and they're going to be in trouble. Right. They don't know that necessarily. That's a problem they don't... for the future. Right. Yeah. We want to end on a good note. So, yeah. It's going to take generations to get back to that level of. And they'll know better by that time. Right. How to handle the situation. Right. right. That's how people are. Humans We've learn from their mistakes. We've learned our lesson and we know better now. And we'll use contraceptives and not just go willy nilly with the children. I also like uh, the idea that now the uh, wealthy are now the indentured servants. So it's a, it's no, a they make reversal. terrible indentured servants. They don't know how to do anything. <laughs> That's the good part. You know, they, they get to learn and they get to by the sweat of their brow. They have to be put to work and, and trained how to do manual labor when they've never done it before. And then there's the poor people going, oh, looks like you failed that task. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh. <laughs> Uh, do they ever radicalize the other servants in the wealthy district? Or are we just relying on sending out the message that makes the task storm the district? I feel like they do radicalize them. That That's part yeah. of how they get in contact with the guy is because they radicalize the rest of the servants and those servants work for him or something. And they're like, oh, I bet I know somebody who could help us. See, that's better than one of them working for the guy, because then that's an amazing yeah. coincidence. And I right. don't like coincidences. Right. So I think it's unrealistic for them to radicalize all of them or even most of them. I mean, I imagine there would be a small faction of the indentured servants who are already want to do something. Right. I imagine the most of the indentured servants were raised in this district. Yeah. And are happy with the status quo and don't really know better. But you have a small percentage of them. That came from outside the district, like our main couple did. Yeah. And they do know better. And they're not happy with the status quo. Right. But how do they recognize each other? How do they get in contact with each other? Because, well, then you don't really need to radicalize them. They're already on board. They already right. don't like the system. Perhaps one of them gets in contact with the couple and sees that they're new. So they came from outside the district. So they're probably not going to be happy with the status quo. And tries to get them on board, but in the beginning, they're trying to toe the line and yep. keep their head down. And it's only later, you know, when they get re-radicalized by seeing them, seeing the wealthy watch the, the limiting event as if it were entertainment. Right. So they come back and they're like, okay, we're in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how they get in contact with the original engineer. Okay. It all mm, makes yeah, logical yeah. sense. <laughs> and then there's no coincidence. <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, on that note of the tidy bow that we've wrapped this in, we'd love to hear your thoughts on our story about a watch. Did you have a good time? Or are you ticked off? (laughs) So much worse than the first one. (laughs) Let us know by leaving a comment on our website, reaching out on social media, or sending us an email. Links to all of those can be found at almostplausible.com. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, You can just do a Google search on me. Uh, My name is Jason Johnson. That's J-A-Y-S-O-N Johnson. uh, And my website should show up there. I'm uh, writing my uh, third screenplay called Grip Tape. It's about a skateboard bandit uh, that uh, robs banks in the San Francisco Bay Area. He has a daughter that has uh, type 1 diabetes and he uh, has to figure out how to pay for her medication when his benefits run out. So that's kind of the genesis of the story. So that's what I'm working on. And uh, and yeah, you know where to find me. We'll also keep an eye on the feed for this show as we'll be releasing a bonus episode with Jason where he talks more about his journey to becoming a filmmaker. Thanks again to Jason. And thanks also to Emily and Shep, who I have no doubt will join me on the next episode of Almost Plausible. <laughs>